So we're looking at Palm Sunday this morning, and uh, you came through an arch as you came in. That was made by our kids, and we've got some palm branches around here uh, to remind us of, of Palm Sunday. This is our, our first Palm Sunday for a little while without masks or, or actually being in person, so it's, uh, it's good to be able to go into this uh, Easter season with a, a little bit of normalcy. We, uh, we, we find Palm Sunday, uh, it's, it's this beginning of the Easter week where, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and, and we know that he comes in on a donkey. And what we actually find, this is, this is quite an important week. In fact, the, one third of, our, uh, of the Gospels is pretty much spent focusing on just this one week. Now, that, that's, that's really quite significant because you've got Jesus died, he was, he was 30-something. We're not, we're not quite sure, maybe 33, maybe up to 36 or, or something around there. So that's 30-something years of life and one-third of the Gospels, which is about Jesus' life, uh, is spent on this, this one narrow week because an incredible amount of stuff happens here and uh, there's a sense in which Jesus uh, really starts to, um, starts to put the throttle down in, in regards to his ministry and what he's about, and he becomes very clear and, uh, and somewhat provocative as well. So we're looking at, uh, if you've got your Bibles there, we'll be in, mostly in Matthew today. So we're looking at the story from Matthew 21. But we'll flick back, first of all, to um, chapter 20, and in chapter 20 here, we have Jesus setting up the disciples. He's already told them a couple of times now that he, he is going to, to go to Jerusalem and die, um, and yet they, they still aren't quite getting it. But even at, at this stage, when he's, he's as clear as he's ever been, um, they're still not quite understanding it as well. It's, verse 17 says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, this is, uh, this is still confusing the disciples a little bit. It, it seems really, really clear to us right at this moment because we're able to look back through, through history and see what actually transpired. Um, but but for, for them, it was so left of field what was about to transpire that it was really hard for them to, to understand how this fit into the bigger history of God's plan and God's story throughout history. You see, what, what we see here in verse 20 is that it's, it's very clear that God had a plan. And, and this is Jesus, he, he knows it's time. And, and he is, in a sense, poking the bear. He is, he is getting, getting very ready um, for what's about to happen. And it's, as I said before, it's like he's putting down the throttle now in this time in his ministry. This plan that God had, this plan to, to save humanity because we needed saving. The people cried with their palm branches. They cried, Hosanna, save us. This is a plan that, that God had right, right from the beginning. 
And the reason he had that plan is because he, he knows what we're like. We, we just tend to make a mess of things. As a, as a human species, we, uh, we do a lot of good, but we make a lot of mess as well. And I was, I was actually looking through uh, one of our old laptops just recently, and it had a whole heap of photos from when the kids were young. I came across this photo of Levi, and uh, what we used to do with Levi, he would love mangoes. Um, but mangoes, they're difficult to eat, aren't they? Uh, they're difficult to eat even, even if you're an adult, and you've, kind of, you've, you've been doing this eating stuff for, for many decades. Uh, still, mango seems to go everywhere in your teeth and, and drip down a white shirt. Um, and Levi, this was a photo, and he was uh, one-ish, and uh, it was a photo of him. He was absolutely covered in mango. Do you know how they kind of wipe their hair, their hands with their hair, and um, just absolutely everywhere in it? But obviously, we'd made a plan. Obviously, we, we, we knew that he was going to make a mess of stuff, so we actually put him in a high chair, and he was outside. The high chair had its, its like, nice, cushiony thing taken off, so it was just raw plastic. And uh, he was also totally in the nud as well. So we had planned. We knew that he was going to make a mess, and we had planned for it. So obviously, we just picked him up, put him in the bath, and just hose that, um, that high chair down. God knew that we would make a mess of things. And he had a plan. He had a plan to save us. Hmm. I just thought about that story. It, it probably isn't the best metaphor, actually, um, because when you... Little Levi, he, he had no idea what he was really doing. It was, it was total innocence, and that's, that's not quite the, the human story, is it? It's, it's not quite... It's not making mess out of innocence. There is innocence to it, but there's, there's intentionality too. Um, okay. Levi again. Um, just recently, Levi was at our kitchen table and I had gotten him breakfast. He has the, the Nutri-Grain. Do you know the um, thing for, for, for Iron Man, I think it is, um, with the three little dots in it. He was eating Nutri-Grain and uh, I, I caught him and he was sitting there. Um, this is a good story, buddy. It's all okay. Uh, he was sitting there and he was throwing them up in the air and then kind of catching them in his mouth. Well, some, some didn't get caught, and some fell on the ground, and I said, Levi, you've got to stop that, buddy. You've got to make a mess. And uh, he, he knew that he wasn't allowed to do it, really. He, he knew that I'd told him that he wasn't allowed to do it. But I, uh, I got distracted, and then Levi, there's Levi again. I look around, and he's thrown one up, and it comes down, and he just nicks his plate. And the whole plate, with all the milk and all the Nutri-Grain, just goes everywhere. That's probably a better depiction of what humans are like. Um, we have a conscience, and we've even been told what to do, and yet we go, I think we'll just do it our way, and we make an absolute mess of things. And even with that, God has a plan. God has a plan to come and to save us, to make us new, to redeem us. So, we're looking at Jesus and this initiation. It's kind of the pinnacle 
of, of his plan to save humanity. This is the, this is the, 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 um, the climbing up to the, the pinnacle right near the top here at Palm Sunday. So Jesus, as we, as we saw, we're in Matthew 21 now. Um, Jesus was coming up uh, towards Jerusalem. He was actually coming towards the East Gate, which is um, the side that the temple is on. And uh, he would have been staying in Bethany at this stage. If you, if you remember Bethany, Bethany was the place with uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he'd only just recently healed Lazarus and, uh, from, from the dead. And so this was, this was a pinnacle of his, of his miracle ministries. Uh, and, and everyone, that, that news would have spread throughout that land. And not only that, as they, as they told about Jesus who had raised a man from the dead, they would have told about the many other stories of what he has done as well. So there was a, there was a bit of, of a frenzy, a bit of uh, extreme excitement in the air at this time. It was, it, was, uh, it was Passover as well, so Jews from all around the land were coming in to Jerusalem at this time to celebrate the Passover. So Jesus is, is staying in Bethany, and uh, the path that leads up to the, um, goes past the Mount of Olives and then goes down and then up back up towards the temple and Jerusalem. Um, it goes through this little town called Beth. Bethage, something, that, something like that. And that's where Jesus sent his disciples to find his donkey. That, that little town, it's, it's right on the side of the Mount of Olives, and we know that Jesus spent a, a lot of time on the Mount of Olives. It's a special, special place, the Mount of Olives, because as you, as you look down on Jerusalem, you can see that mighty temple there. And, and this was a, an extraordinarily huge um, structure, the, uh, both the temple itself and then the outer courts as well, it would have been like some, some great stadium um, that, we, that we have today. But it, it would have dwarfed everything else. Because, because we have a stadium in the midst of other big buildings, this is, this is like this, this huge um, building complex in the midst of, of little um, buildings all around. So it stood out. It was one of the, one of the wonders of the world. And Jesus is coming down, and he's, he's on this donkey, and people are extremely excited. And they're waving palm branches, and they're saying, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is a, uh, they're, they're referring to, to Psalm 118. It's, it's a psalm that was, that was said at the end of the Passover time. And, and these people, they knew what was going on here. What they were basically saying here, they, they knew that Jesus was coming on a donkey. This was, uh, as it says here, it's, it's um, where is it? Yes, when it, when it, this is in verse 4, they uh, talking about him sitting on a donkey. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, Gentle and riding on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, they, they knew exactly what was happening here. This was their Messiah coming into town. And there was, there was extraordinary amounts of excitement going on there. 
Now, as I, as I read through some of the commentaries uh, looking at this, it, um, it, there's kind of a sense of, like, how could these people be so silly? Um, expecting a king to come in and, and to overthrow the Roman government. How did they not know that, that they were, he was coming for a spiritual, um, to, to release them spiritually? How, how were, they so, how were so, they so blind? And to tell you the truth, when, when I look at it, my mind kind of goes, I think I would have been one of those ones with one of these palm branches waving it all about. Because it's being set up that way. Like everything just, just seems to suggest that. It's, first of all, what we have, it's, it's Passover. What, what is Passover? What's that remember, reminding them of? It's reminding them of their captivity in Egypt and how God comes and raises up someone, Moses, to, to basically say, let my people go and God save them from their captivity. So we've got the Romans there. And uh, they're, they're expecting that someone's going to come in, a Messiah's going to come in and say, basically, let my people go. Not only that, Jesus is, is fulfilling prophecies. So there, there's a number of prophecies, and we're going to look at some of them, um, some of the other ones tonight. But uh, this one about, about the donkey, uh, that would have been immediately on their mind. They're going, aha, I, I see what Jesus is doing here. He's making a very, very clear claim that he is coming into the East Gate, which was significant for prophecy, and, uh, and he's coming in as the Messiah. Not only that, he just uh, raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. That's, no one's ever done that before. He uh, has incredible wisdom. He seems to be able to silence the Pharisees and the relig- religious leaders at the time. He doesn't seem to be afraid of the Romans Everything's setting itself up for a Messiah to come and overtopple the, the evil and the, the, those who bring death and those who are enslaving um, the, the people at that time. They're expecting someone to come and deliver them. And that's what, that's what they say, Hosanna. It's, it's saying they're calling out, save us, save us. What we see is something that, um, that plays itself out throughout history for those who follow Jesus so often, is we see a people who can see an immediate need. And it's, it's, a, it's a real need, and it's a serious need. Um, they are under Roman occupation, and they're being mistreated, and the people of God uh, don't have their freedom. And their need is to be free from that. But what God sees is he sees a much deeper need. What Jesus sees is he sees a need that is much deeper than any surface need. He sees a need uh, not only for the people of Israel, not only for uh, uh, someone who's bringing death, not only for someone who's, who's evil, who's, who's um, bringing captivity, but he sees the bigger picture of, of death and of the evil one, and, and, and he sees everybody and that's his plan. He goes right under the surface of all these, all these top-level things, and he undermines everything. And he brings a victory against death and against sin and against evil once and for all. Just thinking about that in our lives, how often does it happen that we can see a problem 
and we're calling out to God like these people did, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save me from this. And we, we've, we've got a plan for that. We've got a plan of what it would like, look like for, for, for God to come and step in at that moment in our life, and, and it doesn't go that way. It's, it's totally different sometimes. As, as, as you get older in your Christian faith, what, what's wonderful is you can actually look back on times in our lives where we've called out for something and God's answered in a total different way and it's gotten to a much deeper fundamental um, thing that God's done a much deeper work. God is, God is always doing what is best for us and we need to call out to Him. Hosanna, save us. But sometimes he may just save us. He may just do a work that is a little bit different to what we were expecting. Just want to end with, uh, with Luke. This is the, the same passage here. Um, same story. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But in verse 41, we, we get a little bit of an extra detail here of something which is, which is quite strange. So if you can imagine the scene, Jesus is coming down this hill of, Mount of, of the Mount of Olives and everyone are waving their branches, they're putting their cloaks down, there is shouts, there is everyone's extremely excited. His disciples that are right beside him are saying, this is the moment, this is what we've been waiting for. And it says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known that um, on this day, what would bring you peace? And he goes on to talk about the destruction that would come to Jerusalem. So we have this, this peculiar thing. We, ha- we have a day of, of exceeding joy. And then we have sorrow as well, Jesus weeping. We have, we have tears of joy and we have tears of sorrow at the same time. That's a little bit strange. I wonder if, if those, those people who were close to Jesus, who could actually see the tears in his eyes, what they were thinking. One of the reasons for this is because he saw the incredible, the incredible potential of a people who would turn to him and would change their ways and what that could look like if a, if a whole people turned their ways. But they weren't going to turn their ways, they were, they were going to crucify him. We see this, that Jesus wept, it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, it's, um, it's in the story of when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. There's some similarities there. Um, Jesus wept before he healed him, before he raised him from the dead as well. So, so Jesus, in that sense, he, he was weeping over the, over the sin and death that, that in, in, um, engrossed his, his creation and, and was marring his creation. He was, he was weeping there, knowing the joy that he was just about to raise Lazarus from the dead and there was going to be celebration. We have a weeping um, for sorrow and weeping for joy in, in one, um, one section there. And then over here... You have Jesus triumphantly coming into Jerusalem. He's weeping because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen both to himself and, and Jerusalem as well. But there's, there's also going to be tears of great joy as he's, he's, as he's risen from the dead. 
I just think that's, that's such a beautiful picture of life and a beautiful picture of our God as well. That our God would enter into life fully. That Jesus, Jesus wouldn't just take the tears of joy, but He would take the tears of sorrow as well. That the, that the effects of sin and pain would affect Him as well. Not only that, what we see here is that, uh, that Jesus... Jesus mirrors life as well, because much of life is like that, isn't it? It's, um, there's both tears of joy and tears of sorrow. Every, every single thing that we do that is really significant and meaningful has both of those things. I think of, um, of getting married, great tears of joy when, uh, on, on, that, on that wedding day, and tears of joy that, that go throughout um, marriage, but there's also great tears of sorrow as well through, through that. Any relationship that's really close, there is, there is both joy and sorrow. Having kids, there's, uh, there's great joy to that. And uh, there's great sorrow as well. You will, cry, you will cry tears of sorrow and of joy as well. Best friends, close relationships, tears of joy and tears of sorrow. Think of uh, planning, planning a church, tears of joy and tears of sorrow. In fact, being in a church, you've got tears of both joy and sorrow because it is, it is a wonderful thing to be in a church family. And, and there are some wonderful moments of that. And then there's some really hard moments when people let us down. And it's, it's tears of sorrow as well. But the key in life is to, to keep walking through those tears of sorrows because we know that tears of joy will come as well. Wonderful hope that Palm Sunday and uh, the events that would come with Jesus dying and raising again is that things are going to change. The, the system of life is going to change. We, we had tears of joy and tears of sorrow, and what Jesus promises is that there's coming a day when those tears of sorrow will be wiped away. Let me finish with the ultimate trajectory which is coming. This is in Revelations 21, verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Jesus enters into life, and there's tears of sorrow and tears of joy. And He does something on this Easter weekend coming that sets a trajectory that will wipe away every tear of sorrow and only leave the tears of joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday that we can celebrate your triumphal entrance into, into Jerusalem. Lord, it was unexpected what you were coming to do. Your people at that time expected you to overthrow the Romans and yet you were going to overthrow the enemy and, and sin and death itself. And Lord, we, we, we stand as those who have received forgiveness from you and, and hope and the promise of eternity with you where you'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, where you'll wipe away any need for sorrow. 
Lord, we look forward to that time where there will only be tears of joy when we come around your throne and see you again, see you face to face. So Lord, as we, as we come into this, into this week of, um, of remembering what you did and the significance that it is for our life, Lord, would you speak to us once again? Would you remind us once again of uh, who, who we are in you and what you've done for us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.